He's assistant police chief. He's here to talk about a missing person case that he's involved in and turned into a vicious murder. Supervising police officer-involved shootings and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com, and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there are no other shows like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And be sure to like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. Joining us from Portland, Maine, we have Joseph Lachlan on the phone. Joseph is Portland, Maine Police's Assistant Chief and his website, shotsfired.com and also josephklaughlin.com. Joseph, first of all, thanks very much for your service. Secondly, thanks for being guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Very much appreciated. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you, and i got to be, t- be totally honest with you. I don't get to talk to police brass very often, so this is uh, something I'm very, very... <laughs> I didn't expect to be there. I didn't expect uh, to get up that high. Well, it just happened, you know? It, it, well, well, we'll cover that in a moment. Part of the problem is, you know, most active-duty police can't talk in the media, so I appreciate it very, very much, and I know there's a lot online, but trust me when I tell you, I'm not going to ask any gotcha questions. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I'm retired. I spoke to the media many times. I, I got no problem. Oh, so you're retired now. How long ago did you retire? Yeah. I've been out since uh, I was the interim chief in 29, and I retired as the assistant chief in 2010. And um, I've been working for a security tech company, wrote, wrote two books, and, and a whole bunch. actually I had a steak sauce, too, from Brooklyn, but that's another <laughs> story. So. You've got a little bit of everything. you got your thumbs and everything, don't you? You got it. You got to keep busy, right? You Look, I'm so busy now. I used to wonder, when I retired from police work, I thought I'd write the great American novel or open an Irish tavern uh, with all the free time I had. Now i got no free time at all. Yeah, I, I, I heard. And I, I was listening to a couple of podcasts, which were, were great. Well, thank you so much. We're, we're here to talk about finding Amy, uh, a missing person case that turned into a homicide, and then... You know, an area that doesn't get talked about very often, the, the supervisor's role when investigating officer-involved shootings, what really happens? People think certain things happen. The reality is often far different. First, your police career, did you set out to become a cop or that happened by accident? It happened by accident, like a calling, you know, you, a lot of us are led to it. So what happened with me is, you know, I went to, I grew up in the New York metropolitan area and was raised in Belmore pretty much. My father had a business downtown um, Manhattan. We had a stronghold in Breezy Point. And I'd spent a lot of time in Manhattan. And I remember as a kid, it, you know, it was dirty and filthy and a lot of crime. And I remember seeing the cops and going, man, I wouldn't want that job. It's just, they were soaking wet. And they had the powder blue shirts on back then. And, uh, you know, not, not on my screen. And I loved going up to the country when I was a scout as a kid. 
and I wanted to do something, you know, outdoors with, uh, you know, maybe a national park ranger or something like that. Came to co- my father sent me to college up here to get me out of New York. I went to St. Joe's College in Portland, Maine, and um, after college, I pretty much, you know, everybody's coming out of Vietnam and, and all the stuff that was happening in the country and what they did to the Vietnam vets, which is similar to what they did to police officers right. in this country. Same yeah. thing, and. Um, you know, then 10 years later, everybody apologizes too late. So uh, I ended up working in the Riverhead Police Department in, in uh, Long Island uh, inadvertently because I, I was on the unemployment line. And the guy placed me through a government training program to try to get me into my field. And I ended up in the Riverhead Police Department as a tow truck operator. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work with those guys. You know, I was chased around by NYPD as a kid, doing a lot of mischievous stuff. And I just had a, a classic sophomoric, you know, liberal view on police. And man, was I stunned at what I saw just in on a Sunday morning. And um, to me, it was like the big Boy Scouts. And I, I went in, uh, you know, a lot of the, the housing areas they had and, uh, you know, challenging circumstances that was in the violence and all the stuff that we right. know now. Well, I know I'm, I'm talking a lot, but I ended up going back to college and working for the college. And I was looking at the city of Portland after growing up in New York. I didn't know anybody. The only cop I knew was shot in the face. So that was sort of an alarm. But I said, you know, I can make a difference up here in this city. And and uh, I ended up doing 28 and a half years right here in Portland, you know, starting on the street and and moving up to my favorite position, detective lieutenant, you know, and, and uh, the rest is history. Well, you said you earlier that you climbed the ranks accidentally. It wasn't on purpose. And uh, you're, you're surprised as anybody. Right. And I'm sure the view changed, your job changed. Because one of the biggest things I tell people is I couldn't wait to be promoted to sergeant. And then when I got to be sergeant, I'm like, I'm not so sure I like this. Yeah, it's hard. It's a big transition. Um, so, you know, I wanted to be a sergeant. I actually, I actually was pushing to be a detective. So I was a detective for years. I worked in a drug unit, uh, task force, back and forth to Boston, Lowell, Lawrence, and all that stuff. And I became the supervisor. I loved being a sergeant. But I just saw a couple of guys I worked with recently and, and gals I worked with recently in my first night. You know, I was close with everybody. I didn't feel any different. And my first night on, there was some violent domestic and they're dragging some guy out of a building. And uh, I pull up and go, what's going on, guys? And they all got in their cars and drove away, you know, and didn't tell me anything. So I'm standing in the street going, you can't do that. Right. It was pretty funny. And, and it's just sort of like, you know, your first test of how you're going to be. And, and um, yeah, I, I loved uh, the officers. Uh, and that's evident at the end of my career. And anyhow, so after that, I... I worked to lieutenant, and um, I wanted to be the DLT, and I ended up doing that for a good five years under Mike Chitwood, who was an unbelievable oh. chief. He was the highest decorated Philadelphia uh, police uh, detective and became the chief here for 14 years. And, and I believe his and I son is the guy's sheriff amazing. of Volusia County, Florida. And is that the same Mike Chitwood? That's his son. Yeah. That's his son. I, I think Mike is now... 
he's late seventies. Yeah. But uh, the guy just had so much passion, like me, and and he's the one who kept pushing me to go further. And you know, I didn't want to be a captain of patrol or any of that stuff. I I love my job. I worked with the media, the, you know, the, all the different organizations, everybody from the FBI to, uh, you know, the AG, the U.S. Attorney, the whole nine yards, and then the media. I did a lot of media stuff. He and I did. But um, I loved that job, and he just kept pushing me to, to go further. Um, and uh, I ended up being in Captain of Patrol, then, uh, then they moved up from there. Well, I'm, at times. I'm of the belief that, and that was thought a long time ago, and I'm, I'm in the same era as you, Joe. Uh, when I... Right. When I, I was a little too young for Vietnam, but I was trained by a lot of Vietnam combat veterans. And we had a couple of Korean War veterans that were command staff. And they were phenomenal police. And one of the things they drilled in our head from day one was the concept of respect. You give respect to everyone uh, until they change the tone of the conversation. Then there's no backing down. As a police officer, you're kind of in a fishbowl. You really cannot back down too much. Yeah, it's a, you know, what people, you know, I'll make a general statement is, is people, society have very little realistic information about what police do on a day-to-day basis and um, the difficulties and the violence they're faced with every day, you know, and there's another expression I always said is police work and function in a world that goes far beyond the realm of normal experience. You know, I mean, even right. when you see in one ship alone, I, I give an example of a, a violent accident where people are killed and dismembered. That might be the first call of the day. Meanwhile, anybody who witnessed that is a mess for their life. And you just negotiate from one difficult human situation it, to the next. It never ends. We're with talking no with answers. Joe Laughlin. He is retired Portland, Maine police assistant chief, also author of a couple of books. And we return. We're talking about investigating a missing person that turned into a homicide, and then supervisor roles investigating police officer involved shootings. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you looking for great products that can be game changers for people, for their physical health, for their overall well-being? Go to letpops.com. That's letpops.com. I take these Juice Plus products. They make a world of difference for me. Better energy. I sleep better every night. Full night sleep every night. Zero leg cramps and more. Many people will tell you about the wonderful things that these products do for them. Plus, it can be a phenomenal business opportunity. You can help people improve their lives and, for a very small fee, get a complete back-end, complete website, zero inventory, no shipping, none of that stuff. Get full details on our website, letpops.com. That is letpops.com. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more, there's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at hefepods.com. Returning to our conversation with Joseph K. Laughlin, retired Portland, Maine, police assistant chief. 
And he is also author of a couple books. Website, shotsfired.com and Joseph K. Laughlin. L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. Joseph, I want to talk about finding Amy. One of the biggest challenges that we have in police work that a lot of people don't seem to understand is what it takes to find missing people and how often these cases turn into, uh, for lack of better words, murders. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question. You know, a lot most times, you know, we're finding people within 24 hours, and, and I got a host of examples in my city, which I refer to as a microcosm of any big city, and uh, change a lot. But yeah, usually in the first 24 hours. So in this particular case. You know, the two detectives came to me, called me at night and said, listen, we got a missing person, girl. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, so what is it? It's, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, um, uh, relationships, gamble, who knows? The the typical, and we usually turn up in 24 hours. So it's kind of rare. Well, within probably 12 hours in the morning, when I get, I said, you know, look, this is the real deal. This girl is just an amazing person. She just hasn't showed up for work. She hasn't called her mom. She's, you know, she departed from her behavior, uh, dramatically. Um, and then from there, so, okay, so game on, of course, there's a million other cases going on, but we first thought that, uh, it was a different guy and it shows exemplary police work. Cause this guy, um, the other guy who was with her nightclub the night before had her purse or cell phone, slept in a driveway rather than her house after he, you know, slept uh, in her house the past two days. It was a friend, and he wanted more than that. So they all, he also had some anger in him, and he had his criminal history. I said, oh, man, we got the guy within 24 hours. And we had him inside. He came in voluntarily, and I really believed. And good detective, Dan Young, comes up to me. He goes, I can't eliminate these other three guys. And it, it turned out to be a total different person. We ultimately eliminated this guy. And we didn't know where the, the girl was, you know, and uh, is she missing? Is she taken off? Is she in somebody's basement? Still alive? Who knows? Um, and it turned out that um, it, she was taken to the woods by the, the offender um, from a nightclub, shot in the head after he raped her and then went back the next day and buried her. We didn't know that. How so long, how long did months. it take your crew to figure that part out before they discovered that she, her body? Well, it took us three months to find the body. I think I, I can't remember just a, the exact what happened in September. Ended up finding her on December eighth, and uh, that's that's an amazing. It's the first time we cooperated with the state police, the warden service. The warden service called us up and said, "Hey, listen, we think we can help." And I go, "What are you guys going to do in the city?" And uh, it, it's an amazing uh, sequence of giving up and then starting up again and, you know, a lot of highs and lows to ultimately finding her body in the woods, uh, which is, I I did a lot of cases like you and, and uh, the detectives did, but two things that that people, it shows the emotional component of the police officers and human beings behind the badge. And also the, you know, what victims go through and and the trauma that's transferred to you and, you know, how difficult it is to watch, you know, the sister and the mother and the father, you know, just, just suffering, going through all the anguish. Uh, and to ultimately find her was just exhilarating, although uh, very, very disturbing, you know, doing a forensic dig and finding her. What the guy did was uh, he went back the next day, um, buried her, put a cement form over her so the animals and nobody can get her, uh, and out in the woods outside the city, 
And, um, you know, again, it's stunning. Haven't done a lot of cases, and I felt compelled to, to write about it. So I also need to mention my co-author, Kate Clark Flora, who is a um, well-known writer and has published 20 books. And, you know, so I was telling her, i got I to write the story. It's unbelievable, you know, and just having such a success with that. Although she's passed, uh, and we did that, it took us a couple of years. It was it was a lot of work on top of when I was working too. So, uh, so you did that while you're still a cop. That's like not yeah, enough like, work to begin with on either side. Yeah, I, I started out as a DLT and ended up as a captain sometime during that time. And I I don't know I don't know you know you look back on things we did and all the craziness and the job and and how I did wrote the book is is amazing. But we did it together where I'd write stuff and she'd write stuff and she'd come up with different ideas of how to, it was uh, quite a process. Um, and it, it goes from my voice into the story and then back into that to um, culminate with the, the finding of her and putting the killer away. Well, if you are in communication with anybody that's related to the case, they're still on the job, please tell them I said thank you for, for what they did. Because this kind of thing happened, I hate to say it, Joseph, it happens every day across the United States. Yeah, every day. And women in particular are targeted by predatory people. And quite often when they disappear... I like to keep a, a stiff upper lip, as they say. Um, and, and But we know at a certain point, if we don't get any leads, more than likely, it's a worst-case scenario. And sometimes you never find them. Correct. Correct. We have we have a couple of cold cases like that, too. And in fact, I was as we're talking, I'm thinking of the first homicide I went to. A woman was strangled in the bathtub. I thought she had her throat slashed, but I was so new, I didn't know. And uh, that took us 20 years to solve. And one of my detectives, you know, the, the passion that they had, uh, well, actually, I had left the division at that point, and he had solved it. But the two primary detectives in the Finding Amy case, Amy St. Lawrence, is Dan Young and Scott Heracles. Dan is from Portland PD, an amazing, you know, guy with the temetry and the, and the gravitas. Is just, I mean, he was, he's, oh, he was unbelievable. And so is Scott, who was from the state police at the time. And first time we have emerged these guys together. And then the rest of the detect- detectives, well, you know, there's tons of other cases going on. Right. It's not like the movies. It's, you know, like one work in one case. So everybody's pulled all over the place. And you mean they're not solved in one hour. We watch television. Everything stops. They dedicate a task force to one case, and it's all solved within one hour. That's not the case. That's not reality. It's so stupid. But, you know, like I I make a general statement is that people are, are trained and educated by TV, the movies, videos, shows, uh, social media, and it's nothing like reality at all. In fact, uh, reality is grotesque, dirty, uh, disturbing, and permanent. You know, so, um, but this case was, they did five documentaries on it over the years, and it's in paperback now, but uh, of all the cases I've done, and watched the detectives refer to her as our Amy. I, I never heard that. They, they were really passionate about it, like we all are in any right. case. You know, right. there's still pictures of people on our desks that uh, that haven't been solved. Uh, when I left, you know, I said, can you please try to work on this? Can you please try to work on that? And they're still doing it, right? Well, one of the things that I tell people is that the cops I know, and myself included, and when I say cop, by the way, it's, it's an, a, a compliment. 
coming from me. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. You know, like who's a cop? Who's, yeah. who's a street cop? There's a exactly. difference. You know, there's a huge difference. And uh, but we're we're not haunted by the cases we solved. We're bothered by the ones we couldn't solve. And quite often, it's not always the case. But quite often, we have a really good idea who did it, but we can't come up with this thing called probable cause to in fact arrest. We're talking with Joe Laughlin. Joe is retired Portland, Maine police assistant chief he's author of a couple of books one including called finding amy go to shotsfired.com or his other website joseph k laughlin l-o-u-g-h-l-i-n.com we return we're going to talk more about the finding amy case and then what it's really like investigating officer involved shootings this is law enforcement talk radio show don't go anywhere we'll be right back I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to HarmonyWithFood.com and click on the testing tab. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. Return to conversation on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Joining us from Maine, we have... Joe Laughlin, he is a retired Portland, Maine police assistant chief. He's also author of a couple books. One's called Finding Amy. Go to it's got two websites, shotsfired.com and Joseph K. Laughlin.com. It's spelled L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. I'm going to apologize in advance. Joe, I'm not going to call you a maniac. Yeah, please. Yeah. I'm a New Yorker. Original. You're a New Yorker. <laughs> Living in Maine. Well, I thought all the New Yorkers moved to Florida. I thought it was required. Well, I did. I do that, too. I'm, I'm down there now. I come back up here in the summer. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So I don't but, blame uh, you. I'm in North Florida above uh, Jacksonville. If I could afford to be a snowbird, believe me, I'd be first in line. My wife and the boss and I talk about that all the time. Before we get back into the wrapping of the case, finding Amy, there's something I got to say. I have two daughters, my wife, my mom, four younger sisters. And one of the things that we taught them, and I, I learned this in police work, is if someone wants to abduct you, fight them like crazy. Make them kill you on a scene because they will, they will definitely kill you later on. How would you respond to that? I, you know, I, I'd recommend that. I mean, first look for, for an avenue of escape. If you know some basic... Um, 
you know, self-defense, like the, the biggest button you can slap into is uh, the guy's Adam's apple. Uh, but once you're grabbed and everything, you got to fight like. Right. Now, in this, the other thing that we, we were talking about briefly is um, when they're in a bar, um, the date rape drugs date are going around drugs, again right. like they were. And that's what happened to Amy, because this woman would never depart from her normal behavior. So constant awareness and, you know, you just got to be aware, number one, as you know, and, and how we ex-cops look at the world even today i'm still doing habits that i did you know 30 40 years ago just how you look at doors windows cars you know all that stuff so awareness for women is is paramount to their success and i like pepper mace too oh pepper yeah. mace but no weapon is good unless you know how to use it and keep it in the same spot every time well, I like the idea of uh, fight like I really do. And, do and too, realize yeah. th this, th there's people like me and Joe and others looking out for you. Now, we can't be everywhere all the time, but there are a lot more people like us than there are predators. However, predators look for the weakest of the weak and they prey on them. And you said earlier, the date rate drugs, all those things, we, it was an issue when I was a kid. Yeah, me neither. You know, it's it's uh, it just triggering a lot of stuff for me is that, you know, I go into a supermarket and you, you as a cop, the only two people looking around in the supermarket, everybody else is oblivious, thinking on their phones, they're walking around with their pocketbooks exposed, is cops and criminals, you know? Right. You got your head on a swivel, you're looking, that guy doesn't look right, uh, you know? And sure enough, they're following someone, trying to get their pocketbook as they're preoccupied in the produce. And, and uh, yeah, you, you got to be aware because it's a lot of dangerous and out there, there are going to capitalize well one of the things and, and we'll move on to finding amy in a moment uh, is i tell people you will never see me in public wearing headphones ever and I, people that do that i don't know how they do that i want to be aware i want to hear everybody i want to hear everything and I, I it's not that i live in fear that someone's gonna sneak up on me but it's been done before uh, and i'm not going to volunteer for that again yeah me too yeah i get it so I want to go into finding Amy. One of the things you said earlier in the conversation, you had a detective that said, I can't clear. And I think the words you use, and I'm paraphrasing, was excellent detective work. He couldn't clear three other people. And the initial suspect turned out not to be the one who did the murder at all, did he? Correct. That's the the initial suspect. Um, his first name was Eric. I don't want to talk about his last name, but he came up to visit her and he had interest in her, you know, romantically. She did not. She had just broke up with a boyfriend. Of course, the first place you go is a boyfriend, and, and we we eliminate all that stuff within twenty four hours. But with with Eric, this guy, we I said he's a guy. There's no doubt, and he had all the post offense behavior that you would expect. He lied to us. He had some criminal activity behind him. He had a restraining order against a woman in Florida, like a, a girl looked like Amy, and, and, and all that relative information that would like alert you to post-offense behavior. But Danny Young, uh, we had brought three other guys in that were with her uh, at the nightclub. Eric didn't dance. The, the killer did, and he wanted to dance with her. He had eyes on her, and he was adept. He was a serial sexual predator, um, and I personally think this was his first kill. And he would have been a serial killer if we didn't stop. And there's no doubt. I mean, he just is right out of a criminal psychology uh, a book or a Quantico, you know, um, psychology book. So he ended up, um, when she couldn't find a friend, taking her for a ride. And, and then we caught him in a lie saying he dropped her off at the nightclub. 
and we at a certain time of night, we know that, no, it's a ghost town because we sweep that area with cops at like one o'clock in the morning because there were so many fights and, and uh, weapons calls and stuff down there at the time. And uh, so we got them on a lie, but we didn't tell anybody. We, we floated into the media later, later on to ratchet up the pressure on him. And he told us this convoluted, you know, an investigation. Right. You know, people lie with with, uh, specific, with specific lies. And he told us stuff like, oh, there's no way this stuff is true. And then we'd see him on video at a gas station way back when. I said, the girl's probably in the trunk and all that stuff. And bang, we found out who the real guy was that we focused on. And he had all sorts of post-offense behavior. He had blood on his... Um, we didn't know this at the time. We got this from witnesses and tracking people down. It took a long time. And then half, I'm saying a couple of months into it, you know, Danny Young comes into my office and says, hey, hey, you know, boss, I did something stupid. I didn't check him on DMV right off the bat. And he was stopped by the uh, adjacent police department a city over. And there's, there's like layers of this stuff. And sure enough, he was stopped by a cop when he was telling us that he was, you know, already home in bed. And then we tracked down where he lived and talked to people and the time out. Nothing matched up. I go, he's the guy, you know. But where is the girl? Um, and where is Amy, you know? And we just went through a protracted, exhausting, um, you know, the the primary detectives didn't sleep and everybody was invested. It was it was national news. Her photograph was all over the city, pasted everywhere, and the pressure was enormous on everybody to to solve this case. You know, and, there, we, and we did. It's, two it's things a stunning ending that, that stand out to me. One is we'll get to this last. The happy ending. Everybody wants a happy ending, myself included. Uh, however, uh, quite often that doesn't happen with missing person cases. Correct. Secondly, uh, the the thing that stranger on stranger murders are very very hard to solve because we go through the process and maybe you can elaborate a little more. We start with who their closest people are and work our way out and follow the evidence. Not just suspicions. Correct. You can have suspicions all day long, but if the evidence doesn't support it, you got to eventually band it and go. A lot of people think, well, they just picked on him because he's the boyfriend. Right. Well, you got it. You got it. It's it's a Socratic method of like, if that's the answer, what's the question? How do you isolate a fact and circumstances that would lead someone to believe? Okay, this is this is definitely true. So we had a murder board up and all that stuff. And okay, here's a time frame. You know, here's here's a timeline. We know this. We know that. We know this. We eliminated everybody else. It's him. But how do we get him? And ultimately, he confessed to his mother. It's it's a long story. But actually, you know, thinking about your wife, we I actually used a psychic who told us some amazing. I was driving to work one day, and the psychic was on the radio, and I I heard of her before, and she was you know blowing people away, and so I said I'll call her up and see you know if she can find this girl. And she told us stuff that was uncanny, unbelievable, but um, didn't help us find the, find the body. But when we did find the body, a lot of stuff was, wow, true. Well, I'm Pretty so glad that you all did, and I, I'm sorry that there wasn't the happy ending, the white picket fence, the Hallmark movie things. Uh, that doesn't happen in real uh, life for brutal. many cases. It's brutal. And again, one of the things that bothers every police officer is, you know, watching people suffer. It's hard. You know, especially kids, parents, telling someone their kid's dead or, or seeing a kid dead on a floor shot in the head or a baby in a closet that, killed. That and, stuff stays I mean, with you. We're talking with Joe Laughlin. He's retired Portland, Maine, police assistant chief, also author of a couple books. We return, we'll wrap up Finding Amy and then get quickly into supervising officer-involved shootings. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return to our conversation with Joe Laughlin, Joe's retired Portland, Maine police assistant chief. That means number two in charge. Uh, he was involved as a detective lieutenant supervisor in finding Amy missing person case that turned into a horrific murder. Uh, and they did get the perpetrator. Good job by you and all detectives. A book that he wrote called Finding Amy. And he has two websites, Joseph K. Laughlin. L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com and ShotsFired.com. I want to change gears very quickly, Joe. We, we talked about the public's lack of correct information about missing persons investigations, murder investigations, all that stuff. But one of the areas they really don't get at all is when officers have to use deadly force. And as a supervisor, you were involved in a couple of those cases, weren't you? Yeah, and also as as a as a street cop too, you know, I went on shooting scenes or was shot at and all that stuff and people have again and I mean this in my heart, having not wanting even to be a police officer and then being one. People have no idea what police do and how they're going from the drug, the desperate, the deranged, the you know, dirty, filthy places and horrible situations and all the uh, you know, traumatic things they're exposed to, especially with kids and a couple of examples I just gave you. But yeah, so then, then I was a detective lieutenant and, you know, they call me up to say, Hey, we just had a shooting, I'm going, Okay, you know, and and um it's not again it's not the movies it's not tv every officer i spoke to on scene and afterwards and then interview with my book said the same common thing i wish it never happened i didn't expect this to happen you know it's just a routine call it ruined my life um and when i interviewed a lot of officers you know in my city and especially from from uh, portland to miami doing a book you know, a lot of we had to stop the tape, and it, it was so. A lot of them cried. A lot of them couldn't yeah. do finish the interviews, and it's nothing like what people are led to believe by the pernicious and pervasive media. Or that you got to think about the people behind the media. But anyhow, I'll start out with the first. When Michael Brown happened, that whole story never never happened. What was portrayed in the media? Hands up, don't shoot. Never that happened. Never happened. Brown was inside the car grabbing a cop's gun. He's a he's a known felon. Plenty of girls in that neighborhood are saying that how dirty and filthy and rotten person he was, and they make him into a hero, which is terrible. And the whole country burnt down on a lie. And all these foolish people are running around with their hands up, don't shoot. And then there's a destruction, deliberate destruction of police in this country. Anyhow, so the first one of the, one of the first terrible shootings I went on uh, as a DLT was. Uh, one of my friends and co-workers, Jimmy Sweat, was stabbed 11 times. A routine call, throwing a guy out of a bar. He went back to the bar and said, I'm going to blow this place up and get you guys and kill everybody. You know, the guy was 
we knew who the guy was. So they go to a suburban neighborhood to chase him, and he goes in a garage. And Jimmy and Glenn McGarry was a brand-new police officer. Uh, and Jimmy squirms into the garage and goes up this you know dirty, tiny stairwell to chase a guy. And the guy just starts slamming a knife into it. Now, here's the, Jimmy's a you know Marine, was in the Gulf War, SWAT team guy like me. I was on a SWAT team, too, for years. And... Um, you know, he knew his stuff, and it just shows you a routine call. Anything can happen right. anywhere at any time. You know, I've been in a hospital a bunch of times. I've watched cops get shot, stabbed, cut up. It, it's it's horrible. People have no idea, and I mean that. They have zero idea. TV, movies, and everything could educate them. So uh, when he gets to the top of the stairs, he's fighting with this guy. Glenn finally gets inside the uh, the garage, and Jimmy realizes he's just paralyzed, and he thought he was sweating, and blood's pouring down through his torso. And um, he's screaming to Glenn, kill, you know, Glenn, shoot him, shoot him, he's killing me, he's killing me. And this guy just didn't stop. And, you know, how sweat is alive is is amazing, a miracle. And uh, when we got there, when the first cops got there, they said there's no way he's going to live. And, you know, Glenn ultimately shot the guy as he was riding Jimmy like a bobsled down a stairwell and you could see him slamming a knife into him, big knife. And, um, 11 times. Anyhow, I get to the scene as, as, as of the first boss there. And, you know, I was close with everybody and really close with Jimmy at the time. And, you know, Sergeant looks at me, Tommy Joyce got that steel blue eyed guy was great on, on crime scenes. You know, you've got certain people that he go, wow. Okay. Okay. We're good. We got this guy. We got that girl. We got, we're good. And, Tommy looks at me, he goes, Jimmy Sweat's dead. And I go, what? And I just felt like, I uh, just like, it was a surreal, I felt like falling backwards. And I can't describe it. You know, sometimes when you just get shocked. And, and I'm like, uh, oh man, okay, we got some work to do here. And, and then we do the crime scene and everything. And meanwhile, the poor kid, and I mean kid, and this is how we started developing peer support and everything, uh, Glenn McCarry. You know, a street supervisor gets there and says, hey, string up this place. We've got to do a crime scene. They took the guy away. There was a dead guy in a garage. And um, nobody knew he had done the shooting. The kids, you know, at the time of the kid, he's commander now. You know, he's covered in blood and everything. And so it just shows you how back to the media thing. It takes us hours, hours to just figure out fundamental preliminary information on what happened. And then you watch the media when they're doing, you know, a, a videotape or a video clip or talking to some person, no credibility in the street. And then the whole country erupts again. Um, and the facts are totally, totally different. And I got thousands of examples of that. That's, you know, the, so the it's thing just, is, uh, that's my first big one. And I got a whole bunch of them. I went and unfortunately, and, we, don't, we don't have time to go all. I got to have you back. But one of the things that happens yeah, is and, and for I understand the reasons why we can't have the officers involved talking. We're talking about criminal cases and uh, they're they're silence. They can't say anything, but not not I was in four shootings in a little over 10 years, Joe, and none of them went like the media said. The first two, I never fired a shot back. The second two were long drawn out affairs, but it, it nothing was even remotely close. I don't talk a lot right. about it now, but I'll say this. The one that ended my career, that I thought I sprained yeah, my wrist and I had multiple surgeries, is the guy, I remember uh, clearly saying to myself, thinking, this guy's trying to kill me. I don't understand why. And I'm going to die, but it won't be tonight, and it won't be because of him. And I was prepared at that point to do whatever it took. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, and if you um, ever have a chance to, to read the book, and I've interviewed a lot of cops all over the country. Um, and again, even ones that were shot in the head and survived, ultimately committed suicide or quit the police department. But the trauma you go to and the, and the physiological and psychological imperatives and impacts that happen during these events, tunnel vision, audio exclusion, right. audio enhancement, you know, seeing things going in slow motion. I mean, I, I just got so many examples and, and self-included, although I wasn't in a uh, shooting, I didn't have to. Sh- oh, that's another thing. For, for the public, ninety nine percent of us go through our entire career without ever using our weapon. Right. But look what they did to society and the people in the country. And in general terms, the chances of anyone, black, white, green, yellow, getting shot by the police is zero point zero 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 three three of one percent. But look what they did. And I feel bad for citizens in this country and what's happening now. And you know, the pernicious and pervasive. Right. Uh, and you know. ultimately, the people that, that can afford at least pay the price the most. They The, the ones in the high-crime neighborhoods, that's where no one wants to be police. They, they're not going to get police. And the ones living behind the gated walls and all that stuff in the exclusive communities yeah. don't suffer. And by the way, Portland, Maine, you would always think it was a sleepy little town. It's not. Uh, what's the name of your book about no the officer-involved shootings? It's called Shots Fired. The Myths misunderstandings and misconceptions about police shootings and real information that the public has never, you know, some of the myths like unarmed person is not dangerous or why the police shoot so many times. Why didn't they use a taser? Why didn't they, all, all the stuff that relative to that. I mean, that's a, I can talk on that for hours. Oh, we'll we'll have to have you back for sure. Sitting down with officers is, is, is brutally intense. So there's two books written by Joe. One's called Shots Fired. The other one is Finding Amy. And you can get more information at his website, two websites, shotsfired.com and also Joseph K. Laughlin, L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. Joseph, can they re- reach out and contact you via your websites? Yeah, it's on, it's on my website. And don't forget my co-author, Kate Clark Floor, because just the, the writing of the second book and interview, I did all the interviews, but putting that together was, man, she came up with so many great ideas. It's amazing. It's amazing. So We'll have to check it out. Yeah, we'll have to have you back. Contact with me. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Very much appreciated. John, thank you very much, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. I hope it makes a difference. It is making a difference, so thank you. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.